Welcome to Phone Messages, Episode 9, Court Appearance. My name is Paul Mason Foch. Before I discuss this week's message, I want to make a correction to an episode a couple weeks back. In Episode 6, Second Outgoing Message, I referred to the 2006 documentary about Maxwell Street Market as Cheat your fare. The correct title is Cheat You Fair, which was the name of a store on Maxwell Street, and it makes a lot more sense. Okay, so getting to this week's message, it is the second one from my mom. Again, we are in August of 1988. There's a lot I have to say about this message, but I have to play it first. So let's take a listen. That's good. It was shorter, even though it was real loud music. Um, I wanted to tell you that Grandma's going to send you the money, and I wanted to know when you were going to be home in September, if you're going to be home, if you're going to go on that trip. So please try to find that out. And also, um, I didn't know if Dad told you that you should dress real conservatively. Maybe even wear a tie for your court appearance. I love you. Call me back tomorrow. I'm going to bed tonight. I'm tired. I love you again. Bye-bye. Okay, first let me address her comment at the beginning. I think she is saying she liked the previous message better because it was shorter, even though it was real loud music. As I have mentioned before, I did not duplicate every outgoing message, so unfortunately I don't have the message she is referring to. The fact that she says it was shorter suggests I was using a 15-second outgoing tape rather than the 30-second tape I normally used. Second, she mentions that Grandma is going to send me the money. Here she is probably referring to money my grandmother was sending me for a plane ticket to visit her in Florida. Next, she asked if I was going home in September or whether I was going on a trip. I'm not sure about this. It's possible I drove back to the Twin Cities or drove up to Madison, Wisconsin, where I also had friends. Perhaps... As I listen to future messages, I will know more about these trips. But let me deal with the big story of this message, and that is my court appearance. So this is a crazy South Chicago incident that fortunately I have details of because I wrote about it in the Gray City Journal. I was driving home from a concert late one Friday night in July and headed east on 55th Street. There's a place just before the IC tracks where the street splits to curve around two long apartment buildings. This modern complex, called the University Apartments, was part of a 1961 urban renewal project that, like most urban renewal projects, displaced thousands of low-income residents. Anyway, so I'm curving around these buildings, and just on the other side, I hear boom. Something happened to my car. At first, I thought maybe I hit a pothole. I stop and get out of the car to check it out. 
and boom, <laughs> out of the blue, someone slugs me in the face. I fall to the ground as three or four guys start kicking me and wailing at me with their fists. I curl up like a turtle to protect myself. After a few minutes, a woman shouts at them to stop, and they leave me lying in a ball in the middle of the street. They get back into their car and peel off. Apparently what happened was as I curved around the building, they were speeding up from behind and crashed into my side. But I am sure they thought it was my fault for being on the road at 1 a.m. when they wanted to speed test their car. After they pull away, I park my car and walk home. Except for a few scratches and bruises and another fender dent to my 73 Dodge Dart, there was no serious damage done. So I hit the sack. The next morning I go to check out my car and find a legal notice stating that this vehicle was implicated in a hit and run accident. I rush home and call the police to ask about the notice. They tell me to come into the station. I go down to the station and after a long wait, an officer asks me about what happened. The primary puzzle he poses for me to solve is why I did not call the police. In as gentle a way possible, trying not to imply the police were useless, I said that I was not seriously hurt, so I did not see the point. In the end, I was required to file a charge of assault against the driver, and a court date was set where I would tell my side of the story. After I left, I thought to myself, what evidence do I have to support my version of the events? After all, I was the one who failed to report it to the police. So I thought, it does not look good for me. I decide the only evidence I might provide are the injuries I sustained. The best way to prove my injuries would be to get a doctor's exam. At the time, like many recent college graduates, I lacked health insurance, and I did not have a regular doctor. Therefore, I decided to just go to the emergency room. I spent a lot of time in emergency rooms in the past couple of years, and beyond the reason for going, these places are full of distress. The story I wrote for GCJ dedicates significant space to describing this distress. The long wait, the cries of pain from neighboring beds, and refrigerator-like temperatures. Let me read from the concluding paragraph. The doctor listened attentively to my story and gave a proper sigh of disbelief. After looking me over, she decided that I was going to be okay and told me to apply heat where needed and take Tylenol for my head. I thanked her and walked slowly out of the double doors into the waiting room and then outside into the comforting heat. It was now almost six and I began to think about what I was going to do. It was Saturday evening. So this was how my story concluded, but it was not the end of the story. I showed up to my court appointment, well-dressed as my mother advised, 
and with an elaborate series of drawings prepared to explain what happened on the road that night. But the other driver never appeared, so the case was dismissed. At the same time, I received a bill of over $100 from the emergency room. Now, I realize these days that amount might be what you pay even with insurance. But back then, I had little money. So $100 was a big hit. Consequently, I decided to try recovering my money from the guy who hit me. I thought it was perfectly reasonable, considering I did not press charges for assault, to just ask him to compensate me for the emergency room bill. I also had the impression, since he was driving a much nicer car than me, which probably helps explain his rage at getting hit, that he could afford to compensate me. Another impression I had was that it might have been his parents' car, so I thought maybe the parents would be thankful I did not press charges and be willing to help me out. So I sent a very polite letter with a copy of my emergency room bill to the name listed in the court documents. A month later, after receiving no reply, I sent a more serious letter, threatening to have my lawyer get involved. Of course, I didn't have a lawyer and I had no intention of hiring one. So after again receiving no reply, I gave up. Oh well, I did get a good story out of it. And to be honest, I felt kind of bad for the kids. I'm sure they got in big trouble with their parents. Okay, that's plenty for this week. If you would like to participate in this podcast or have comments, please contact me through my website, pfoch.com. That's P-F-O-T-S-C-H dot com. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week.